We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 417 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Nick Hilton, and he's Levon, a.k.a. Barcelona. And today, we have got a special listener question show. Well, at least that was the plan at the start. But with what happened, particularly in the Netherlands-Argentina game, our focus has probably shifted a little bit, plus Croatia-Brazil before that. But we might be able to fit that amidst a question or two from the listeners. Now, Levon, obviously, we're going to start. For people who may not be paying attention or haven't got to know you well enough on the show, you are from the Netherlands. So there's a little bit of an added thing here. I did try to book you before knowing, well, I knew Argentina and Netherlands was happening, but that was not why I tried to have you on the show. I had you to come on talking about Barcelona listener questions. But anyway, obviously, Argentina Netherlands, instead of just a run-of-the-mill game, was one of the craziest games I have seen in a long, long time. And not like in one of those bonkers scoring like Bundesliga 5-4 matches or, you know, one of those crazy up and down matches, but about as crazy as a game with that kind of stakes. I think the, the level, the pressure and the stakes and all that stuff, I, I don't think we've seen something like that since maybe Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid in the Champions League final last decade. But even then, you always had the sense that Real Madrid were going to win it. And I, even though there was that feeling that Argentina was going to win it, like, I don't know. <laughs> like once, once the Netherlands tied that one up, it was a certain absurdity. And I can't imagine from your perspective. Now, obviously, you want Messi to win the World Cup. <laughs> you're a Barcelona fan through and through. And here's Messi. And yet Messi going against the Netherlands. And so I totally understand how you could come out with that saying, hey, this is the, I, I hope either of these teams make it in some kind of way. But also just I can't imagine mostly what that was uh, the roller coaster of that match for you. No, I mean, obviously, I support the Netherlands uh, because, uh, you know, that's my passport. And that's where I grew up. But... I've lived outside of that, outside of Holland for more than half my life. Yeah. And my, my connection with Holland is quite limited, both um, uh, practically and emotionally. So, uh, yeah, I supported the Netherlands tonight. But I, I'm also like, you know, even though um, I'm really not happy that uh, regardless of it not being his choice to leave, he then chose a club that I absolutely despise mm-hmm. and everything that that club stands for, I, I, I despise. At the same time, like as a coulet, uh, Messi has given me so much pride and happiness over the last 20 years. You know, he, he was at Barca for 17 years, I believe, uh, as a professional, that 
you know, I, I want him to do well at the World Cup. Uh, so, you know, for, for Haaland to lose, you cannot really be disappointed by this Haaland team uh, not making it through the quarterfinals of a World Cup. You know, there, there, there are players there that I've never heard of. The goalkeeper, I mean, the goalkeeper was starting his fifth his fifth game for the Netherlands and all five of his starts for his national team came at the World Cup. Like everyone was Googling him in game one. The, the goalkeeper is 28 years old and I think he's only played like 50 professional matches. Right. He <laughs> retired. He retired. <laughs> yeah. He was, he, was, he was cut by his local side. He was cut by his local side. Was it Hervernev? Her- you can help me with the pronunciation there. He winds up getting cut by them, then retiring, then picks up with like a local, like fourth tier or fifth tier side. And then winds up just having like this weird situation where he gets spotted again by like somebody who he knew when he was younger, who now works for the club. And then he got his start. And now here he is <laughs> starting the World Cup. It's just, yeah, unbelievable. Really. And he played, he played pretty well. Yeah. This, this World Cup. Uh, but also like the, the guy who, uh, who scored twice. So yeah, you know, I'm Dutch. The guy who scored twice tonight, he was 30 years, he, he's 30 years old and I had never heard of him. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he plays, so, he plays, in the um, and he the, plays uh, for Besiktas uh, right now. I don't know where he right played now, yeah. before. Better Bremen was where he made his, we'll say, his yeah. the, the biggest parts of his career. You know, we, we, we have a lot of players who play in the Eredivisie, and I don't mm-hmm. follow that league at all. We have a couple of players who play in, what is it, the Jupiter League, the Belgian League? Yeah, Jupiter, yep. Yeah, and you know, I don't follow that league at all either, so... Yeah. Like Holland has no business making it to a semi-final of a World Cup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so if 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 we had a really like if Holland had like a, a golden generation, then yeah, I'd be I'd be disappointed. But now, the, the only thing I'm afraid of is you know Messi. You, you, he can't lose against Croatia in the semi-final. But then I don't want him to lose in the final either. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm just preparing for the heartbreak. Yeah, I mean... Because I'm not impressed by Argentina at all. I mean, I, do you, there is an argument, I mean, especially with Brazil going out the way they did today against Croatia as well, there is an argument that whoever wins this World Cup is a severely flawed team. Like, there is no team... I mean, yes, France... I mean, even France. Like, I know they were playing their quote-unquote backups, but if you're France, you don't lose to Tunisia one nothing. Like, I want to remind people of that. But yes, this Argentina squad was unimpressive when they started with Saudi Arabia and they were upset there in the first opener. But... I mean, again, even France has had their moments, and like even Mbappe, like it's 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 not like any team has completely blown your socks off this entire World Cup. Every team has had their issues, had their poor games, even lost. Like no one was unscathed in that group stage either. So no, but yeah. one loss doesn't doesn't mean much. Like I didn't watch the Tunisia game. Did, did France play play poorly? I only saw the last ten minutes. Yeah, it was like I mean they were disinterested, sure, but like I I can't let them get off the hook for that like they eventually did put their starters in late in like the last 15 minutes and they just they couldn't figure anything out they couldn't build anything up and it actually has been part of the story of this of this world cup where i think this kind of gets into our discussion here as i want to as we kind of focus on all these matches in this way that this world cup has been one where i think we're going to be talking a lot about you know anti-football now not not like Mourinho, like foul and blah 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 not the kind of stuff that makes mateo lajos a star but the kind of football that is sit in defend not even for your life like it wasn't desperate defending like morocco who played tomorrow morning so by the time you hear this who knows if they're still in it with portugal or not but morocco up to this point has been the best defensive team in the world cup 
and Croatia. We saw what they did against Brazil. So it's one thing to, again, defend for your life and defend like chickens with your head cut off. It's another thing to have a system and a plan and execute that plan. And I think Morocco beating Spain as well. I mean, I'm going to jump into that already. We have a bunch of questions from that that I'll, I'll be more poignant with that. But that kind of, to me, was the epitome in this World Cup. Spain losing to Morocco was the epitome of this idea that we're seeing in this World Cup of teams who are sitting in and then, again, not just counterattacking to hope that they get a goal like we accuse Adafi of or Kadith of. But these are teams like Morocco whose whole game plan is to is to counterattack very quickly, especially on the wings where you have they, their, their best players are on their wings, and to come in from the outside, come in and finish with elite and precision and with speed. And somebody had said too, like the World Cup is not you know, whether it's Premier League or whatever you want to say, the world of football is not passing the likes of Spain or Barcelona by because things are getting more physical. As you and I have talked about many, many times, it's that when these teams are sitting in this counterattacking style, especially to the likes of Achille Mbappe, why he is starring in this World Cup, is because they're faster and they're more clinical. Not, I'm not talking about speed in a foot race. I'm saying that these counterattacks are planned and balanced and just, you know, precise and elite. And so with elite counterattacking a way that I think, you know, we've seen this trend kind of happen over the last seven, eight years as world football and tactics kind of said, okay, here's Tiki Taka or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. Here's possession style, you know, as many shots on goal, whatever. How can we counteract that? And I think now in 2022 in this World Cup, we are seeing that hit its nadir of that get the counterattack. Well, I mean, that's that's nothing new, though. So people go, it's like, oh, it's involving, it's involving. Like, that's nothing new. Um, in in the early eighties, the Italians played Catanaccio, mm-hmm. in which they defended and, and and they countered. Yeah, Barcelona style was incredibly successful uh, during a period in which they had pretty much at least a top three player in every position on the pitch, and some of those players were not top even top three, but uh, Lionel Messi, Xavi, uh, Iniesta, Dani Alves. Uh, they, they just had an incredible team that made that style very, uh, very successful. But even even that team played matches in which an, another team just focused on defending incredibly well, and it was very hard for us to break them down because that's that's football. Like you know, uh, against teams that control the ball, the other team needs to control the space, and often controlling the space is both easier and therefore more successful than than controlling the ball. So I think it's very difficult to draw conclusions. Um, you know, we can all look at the scoreboards and draw conclusions from that, but games can break either way. And one style can be another style, but then the next time that they play each other, who knows, you know? So I think Spain were disappointing. Part of the reason that they were disappointing was because they won their first match 7-0. So, you know, you can only go down from there. But... I also think that Spain against Morocco in particular were not brave enough, did not try enough, did not really go for it enough. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, it, it is that it is that like revolving door of, of narrative that if Pablo Sarabia hits that that late opportunity in there extra time, then we're not having this conversation. If Neymar if that one nothing winds up standing, we're not having this conversation about Brazil Croatia. Yeah, sure. And I think as is always the case of the transfer market, how the World Cup inflates certain things, the same happens of uh, of results. But I will say though about how this has always existed and, and continues to exist. Because I think, I don't know how, what a percentage, maybe this is 8% of the final result of, of the whole picture of games. But I think because of the video and scouting departments and just the, not even the data, but the understanding we have of like the, the surface area or whatever, being able to see your opponent's last 10 games, right? Being able to prepare for your World Cup group stage opponent for however many months. I think that's actually one of the reasons why so many of those group stage games were kind of duds outside of the teams that seemingly were just kind of popping off like the Ghana-South Korea game, right? It was just two teams that really didn't know each other at all. And 
I guess to say styles that were similar enough or had uh, in the other games, they were replicating what they wanted to do to each other, if that makes any sense. So I think teams in this tournament have had like almost matching styles. Those are the teams. Actually, Argentina, Netherlands is actually a similar thing where both these teams in this tournament have wanted to have the ball and they've had the ball more, but they also haven't been afraid to not have the ball, if that makes any sense. Like they're not one of these teams that that absolutely needed to have the ball to have some success. And I think because those two stylistically were kind of looking in the mirror a little bit, uh, they also, again, want to build by breaking through lines. The Netherlands, it was it was Memphis particularly in that first half, and then Memphis was really good there. And then obviously Messi doing his thing. And then how do you protect them? And I thought De Jong was one of the best players. I mean, he was the best player for the Netherlands, but he's been one of the best players in the whole tournament because of his ability to kind of, I mean, I thought for Frankie De Jong, just to kind of guard for everybody else. Do you disagree? You think that he is not, I mean, I think of all the Barca players, he's the one that probably comes out of this tournament looking the best. Do you disagree with that? Wow. Because the other argument... Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't think he had a... I don't think he had a terrible for tournaments. Um, what I hear when I talk to my dad is that everybody in Holland is super critical of him. I don't think he had a good tournament either. I don't know. Like if I look at Holland, traditionally they want to have the ball, but they have so many so many players on the team right now that you just don't want to give the ball to. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think yeah, it's probably better better not having <laughs> better not having the ball. <laughs> but um, no, I don't think the young was good at all. I think, um, you know, and it's funny because De Jong used to be really good for Holland, but not that good for Barcelona. But the last two months, he was pretty good for Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And in this tournament, he was not good for Holland anymore, which, you know, it's if he has to, like, be good in one team and not good in the other, that's the way I want it. So, you know, I'm good. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think then that leaves us. We'll see what happens with France tomorrow. But I think that leaves us then with Dembele or Christensen, having been the two Barca players that may have come out of this tournament, the, uh, we'll say, on the best form. Because Denmark's failures had nothing to do with Christensen. It was actually almost despite Christensen (laughs) that Denmark fell on their faces even harder without him. uh, That that was surprising because Denmark, like, had a lot of of people said that Denmark was going to do well this tournament. Including I, me. I don't, yeah. I don't think Dembélé has been all that great either, to be honest. What has he done, really? Well, I think he's done what he does for Barcelona, except he has a lot less attention on him. <laughs> and I think that's pretty helpful to him. But, okay, well, so... Let's I mean, get, in, in, yeah. in Barcelona, he's pretty much an assist machine. Yeah, yeah, he's an assist machine. But I think he's also a necessity to break things open. As opposed to France, there's less pressure on him. And he, not to say he has less to do, but there is less put on his shoulders. And I think that's been helpful to him. Where I think even myself, when I'm watching these games, I'm much less critical of Dembele for France than I am for, for Barcelona. Because when things break down with, with Dembele, I mean, now France is going the other way, with, on the other direction, on the mm. other way. Where they have an overlapping fullback who is not only getting ahead, but also defending well for him and, uh, and things like that. I think Griezmann has been excellent for France. And I still think that, you know, if our economical situation was better... Griezmann would have been a very good player for us to have on the team. I was, it's a pretty hot take that we didn't have a listener question about. So I'm going to move on from that and come back to another listener. Well, actually, our first listener question, going back to the, we'll put a pin in the Argentina-Netherlands game here with a question from Out of Element. He mentioned a quote from Van Dijk about Messi. The difficult thing about him is when we are attacking, he is chilling somewhere in a corner or something. So out of, our, uh, out of Element asked our thoughts about that. But I mean, I think Van Dyke is actually right. Like, as, as I know that you want sarcasm with that, but um, there was a study actually done last season where they calculated the number of scans 
by a player in a match, like the number of times that they looked over the shoulder and where they kind of, you saw that eye-wise, like they vision-wise, they took in the whole field. And Messi and Modric were one and two at the top, top, top. And then there was some space even between those two and everybody else down to number three. Now, Modric, as you know, with Croatia, does cover more ground than Messi. Messi does a bit more walking. He does He's done more walking in this tournament than anybody else. But it, as much as I want to say that that matters and it doesn't, like today, as we saw against Netherlands, like Messi's brilliance, like that pass on the first goal was, I mean, one of the... I, My I God, know, that was I amazing. Really, I, I don't want to use hyperbole, but it was, I can say, I think we confidence top 20 of passes I've ever seen that led to a goal or like, we'll say assist. Like it was a top 20 assist that, that I've seen. And that, that mean, seemed like hyperbole, but... It was a top 20 Messi assist, maybe. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, fair. We, we, we're talking fun. about Messi, man. Uh, I, I think it's very interesting to think about the scans. The thing that set Messi apart from everybody else, and this is not a, necessarily a criticism, it's not a compliment either, is that, yeah, Messi does spend an enormous time on, on the pitch in which he does not run, but just slowly walks around more, more than any other player. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this around and imagine if Messi was not number one in scanning the pitch that would be unjustifiable <laughs> because yeah. if if, yeah. if you just walk around most of the match like what the f are you going to do then at least you're going to w- look around all the time and and see what is happening yeah so again this is this is neither a compliment nor a criticism it's just that hey i, I would expect him to scan more than anybody than anybody else right because <laughs> he's walking with everyone else right yeah. uh, all right next one Kalawan says, where do you think Luis Enrique's next destination might be? And for those who haven't been paying attention, Luis Enrique had a meeting and he's going to be leaving. He stepped down. The U21 coach is going to be in his place. People are not too happy about that. Uh, we can touch that at a later date. But uh, yeah, for Luis Enrique, his time in Spain is, uh, is over. Maybe for, I mean, national team coaches, like you can always return. So I wouldn't say that it's, it's done forever for Luis Enrique there, but at least for now. That, I've been thinking about this. I, I don't think he's going to do anything for for the next year. Mm. He's just going to spend time with his family. I think he's. I, I heard something about him building a house somewhere in the mountains where he can walk his dog. You know, the fortunate life people live. Got a lot of bike rides. I mean, he's an avid bike rider. So yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know because. He's somebody who identifies so much with Barcelona and he also identifies so much with Spain mm-hmm. that it is kind of difficult to see him somewhere else. I know he speaks English, so the EPL would be uh, would be a good a good choice for him. I know that before he took the Spain job, I always thought that Manchester United would be an interesting fit for him because of the, the size and, and character of the club and, and, and his character. At, at the same time, I don't really want him to go to England where you know he's just going to be one of many amazing managers who is going to lose against Manchester City every season. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, you know, I I don't really see him going to to Germany either. I pray to God that he's never going to go to Paris Saint Germain. Honestly, I have no idea where he would go. I think one thing that could be interesting. Just from a um, um, Spanish football perspective, is if Diego Simeone's time is running out at Atletico, mm. I think he could be a very interesting fit there. That's a great call. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, you're right. I think at this point in his managerial career, he's going to step into a team. And it's, short, it's a short list. Like people have already brought up Juve because of Juve's situation, but I don't think he goes to Italy. And then, as you said, now you're left with, I think, depending on how the top six or the top four shakes out in, in the EPL, are you talking about Graham Potter getting replaced at Chelsea for next year? Are you talking about Antonio Conte <laughs> getting replaced from Tottenham? I mean, that's what I mean. Like if, if those are the kind of, I mean, again, those are, those are places, big clubs where managers are constantly replaced. So, I mean, and, I mean, why would he sign up for that? I mean, it might just be the money. I mean, like these footballers and these managers have like made decisions based on money before and it wouldn't mm-hmm. be the first time. It won't be the last, but Atletico Madrid, that's, that's a great shout. I, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think that he's very motivated by money. I'm not saying that he's not going to go to the EPL for a ridiculously high, high contract. Right. But um, from everything that we know about him and just his personality and, you know, despite him hating the media, he is quite open and he says a lot more um, than, than other people in football. I mean, he had a stream. He streamed well, like throughout and, the World Cup. Like he and, really created and, his own media. <laughs> and, and, and his stream was a delight. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think money is the, the main motivator. The other thing is that after Barcelona and after Spain, like the only way, like the only only direction that you can, do, that you can go is down. Like, you know, he's not going to go to Madrid ever. No. You know, you know what else could be interesting? But this is like completely impossible and if he would take over Brazil. Mm. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But no. uh, yeah, it would be interesting. It would be interesting though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, him taking over any of those like big international jobs, but I, I think early reports are that he's going to return to club if he ever returns, uh, which again, he's still young enough where he, he might, yeah. he might be gone for a year or two. Sure. So uh, for Dirk and Tamir, we both, we kind of hit on these already. Like Dirk asked, does Spain's shock exit highlight the Barca problem? That being that our style of play is perhaps an issue while Spain decimated Costa Rica, as you said, they only scored two goals in the following three games. Frankly, it just didn't look very lethal at all. We kind of, again, already touched on that. I, they just I, I, don't, I don't think that Spain and Barca are playing alike. So, Even though they have so much carryover, you're saying? Yeah, but um, the moment that you put Dembele, yeah. uh, you know, Xavi plays a lot more direct, a lot more vertical than, uh, than Spain. So, well, I also think, I mean, I think the Lewandowski to Marco Asensio or whoever they yeah, had up as their, their, their false sign, like it's not, it's not comparable. But uh, what Tamir did ask, though, was what key lessons does Xavi take home from watching Spain's performances to implement or avoid with Barca? And, you know, as I was thinking about this, the only one that I really <laughs> kind of stick with is that midfield trio of, of Gabi and Pedri and Busquets. But then before I start to think about that or, or work on that, do you really think that the international game is that much different than the club game? Like, cause again, I don't even want to have a, have this conversation, like comparing those, that trio starting for Spain, as opposed to Barcelona and like their failures for, for Spain or whatever. Cause you're right. The whole system is different. The players other than Ferran Torres and Balde and Alba uh, around them were generally different. Uh, like again, in the Morocco game, I mean, a huge part of some of Spain's issues that Marcos Urende was starting as the right back, which bars have their own right back spot problem but we saw Kunde for France playing it right back and so you know with Araujo coming back and those different conversations we can have but yeah I, I don't know I think it's almost not to say I want to cop out of this but I think it's almost apples and oranges to the international game to the club game the fact that this is a knockout tournament and the way that these like again like Morocco knowing to get to PKs like the idea that you can get to PKs it changes your style it changes the way that these teams defend I think the pressure is different as well like 
club pressure and Barca pressure. I mean, maybe the Champions League pressure is similar to the World Cup for <laughs> the likes of Alba and Busquets. And maybe that's why Busi missed the, missed the PK. But I don't know. Like, I, I find a hard time trying to compare them. And I think Xavi would do the same. Like, it's not like he's going to say, oh, I think Busquets didn't do XYZ at the World Cup. Therefore, I'm concerned about his performances. No, like the the three or four weeks before the break about Busquets, like those criticisms, those carry over much more than any performance by Busquets at the World Cup. I mean, imagine imagine if Spain had been mildly successful, then Xavi would have probably like implemented a less vertical style to see if he could rec- replicate it. I think he's also pressured. I mean, I think the most important thing is off the pit contractually, like ball day by going to the World Cup. He's going to make a little more money with this renewal. Busquets, he, had ter- he had a terrible World Cup, though. <laughs> but he was there. <laughs> like he got no, called he, in. No, he, he, he was there, but he like I was surprised. He he was. It was rough. Yep, it was, it was rough. rough. Like he he came yeah. on in two games, and in both both games, like the goals kind of could have been blamed blamed on him. Yep. twice I think yep. if I'm not mistaken. No, you're right. So, yeah, I mean, he was he was somewhat culpable for both of those. Yep. So uh, yeah. That, that did not look good. I think the other thing that the other takeaway that I have is Ansu Fati. So we had a question. Let me ask you the question about Ansu before you actually right. answer. So Peter asks, how do we make sense of Ansu's situation? Why is he not getting the necessary game time for Barca or the national team? Surely he's fit now. Could it be because he's not performing in training or not doing what his managers are asking of him? So you can answer and respond in the same. Just incorporate that question. I mean, my honest answer is I don't know. But I don't think it's a coincidence that he does not play for either Spain or Barcelona, where he used to be like a starter for both of them. Because before his last injury, uh, he was a starter for Spain and he was scoring for Spain. He was a starter for Barcelona and he was scoring for Barcelona. I think the problem is psychological and mental more than anything else. I think one of the one of the great things that Ansu gave teams was... He only needed half a chance to score. And if he does not score, it's not that he plays poorly, but, you know, damn, it makes a difference. Like, you know, scoring a goal per game or scoring one goal every 10 games, like, the difference is huge. The return of uh, what, what you're getting for for putting him on the pitch or not. I agree but, with that because people were asking me, like, why was it Nico Williams over Ansu? And you could say, obviously, Nico's on the right and Ansu's on the left, but why Danny Almo started over Ansu is that Danny Almo is a superior inverted winger on that left side, which is what, or Baron Torres is the same thing, which is what Luis Enrique wanted. And then coming off the bench on that right side, Luis Enrique wanted a 1v1 winger to go and attack yeah. that back fullback. So I think because, as you said, like if Ansu isn't being clinical and isn't putting the ball on the back of the net, he isn't really your choice as this 1v1 winger. And he's also not your choice as an inverted winger either. He's somebody that does core can do on paper in theory all of those things to a reasonable useful level like he can go 1v1 net one essay but that's not who he is like he's not Dembele he's not Rafinha he doesn't profile that way and he's not Danny Olmo either where he just combines and combines and combines and plays right. and plays and plays no what set Ansu apart from everybody else was his relationship with the back of the net mm-hmm. given the ball yep. boom goal boom goal boom goal when that is removed from his game, it's not that all of a sudden he's a bad player, but then all of a sudden, like, hey, you compare him to 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 other players of uh, that that level, and he no longer has the clear advantage over them. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing I would add, though, is that the World Cup was in the wintertime right now, which is, we've said it for months now, it's stupid. And I think for Ansu, this season was about coming back and being on the field. And as you mentioned, confidence. Because he just turned 20, I'm not going to freak out about Ansu. Like, if he can stay healthy this whole season, just like with Dembele almost, but Dembele being 25, like, there are different expectations. But for Ansu at his age, if he can stay healthy this whole season long, if he can bag another four or five goals and end the year with what? eight, nine, ten goals for Barca this season. It's not an absolute victory. It's not this awesome thing. But I think in my predictions, and you and I discussed it at the start of the season, like if Ansu was able to capture like 12 goals this season or 13 goals this season, it was going to be a success based on where his career could have gone, like what, like the path that it was on. And it's kind of a reminder too, as I kind of transition to this, this next question from Noah, last summer was amazing about the transfer window and brought us to the top of the league this year. But without the ability to sign anyone that's not a free agent for the foreseeable future, January, maybe beyond, how will we cope in the coming years? We miss out on more opportunities like Endrick. And I'll remind you, like Endrick, we've watched the highlights. We've watched like what this kid can be. And he's, he's what, still 15 or he just turned 16 or whatever. He's coming to Madrid in 2024. But Antu debuted for Barcelona at 16. Like Antu was Endrick at 16 at the Camp No, like for FC Barcelona. And I'll remind you, like Endrick to me, like of what this kid looks like, he looks like Brazilian Ronaldo at 17. Like, that's what he looks like. This kid is unbelievable. But also, like, Brazilian Ronaldo, you know, his best season was when he was, what was he, 20? He was 20 years old that year when he won the Ballon d'Or for what he did at Barcelona. Then he goes on to the World Cup as this young superstar, sure. But then after that, like, it was injury after injury after injury. And so, yeah, he was Inter Milan success and and he was most Galacticos. But, like, I mean, Brazilian Ronaldo should have been, like, we should be talking about him on that Mount Rushmore with Pele and Maradona and with Cruyff and Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. But, like, that's where he should be. And I think we can kind of do that, but we don't because there's something missing. So, Endrick, I'm not saying he's going to hurt or anything, but I'm saying, like, are we going to miss out on opportunities? I mean, I don't think you miss out on a 72 million euro 16 year old. Like, you, I don't think that happens. Yeah. I mean, he, he could score a lot of goals in El Clasico. Like, he could be Brazilian Ronaldo and, and strike fear in his opponents. But in the same regard, like, a lot has still has to go right for a young player at, at, in, in that regard. So, like, I don't think we missed out. I mean, we, but I don't think Barcelona missed out on Endrick. But as far as like the free agent thing, the foreseeable future thing, I mean, I think they're the squad that is built now. I think there are ways to reinforce in the right spots. The margin of error is smaller. I think that's the whole thing that, you know, as, as you and I have also discussed, like there are deals that can be made that can hurt them. And there are deals that they shouldn't make, like as far as for even renewing certain players. And there are, I mean, there are little things, not even little things, but big things like getting Frankie DeYoung on a salary reduction is almost more important than bringing in. I mean, yeah, you need a right back, but like getting his numbers down, it, it just allows you to do more things. And it, it makes, it allows you to make, make mistakes and that's something that barcelona made a lot of mistakes for a long time for really expensive and that's why they're in the position they're in but i don't need to tell you that i don't even think that you know it should be allowed to play to pay 60 million or whatever they're paying for for a 16 year old and mm. having them play one or two more years at palmeras and then like i don't know this game this game has lost its soul a long time ago and but do you it's, think do you think Real Madrid is doing that because of like the like the greater inflection uh, inflection of of oil money as well? Like, do you think Real Madrid's like sitting on their nest egg, and that's why like we have to spend now or else? Oh, we're, like, no, we're but this, to- yeah, this obviously like they they can no longer like right right now it's Paris Saint Germain paying the the two hundred twenty million for uh, for Neymar, 
and Madrid has uh, quite clearly identified a strategy which is working for them, in which they pay uh, a huge amount of money for Brazilian players in particular, that Vinicius. They paid him, and he stayed at what was his club, Flamengo, or Ful- Fulminense, one of those two. He stayed at that club for a while, then he then he came at a super young age to Madrid, played in their B team for one year, and uh, and or maybe half a year, and then started playing for the first team. They did, they did it with uh, Rodrigo, which is also working out. They did it with uh, Ronaldo, which is not working out, and now they're doing it with Kendrick. I think overall it's a successful strategy for them. Also, Madrid is a well-run club, and they spend their, like... They they spread the risk. I mean, they also the bait, they, they also cut bait at the right time, like the Casemiro thing. Like they cut Ramos, like Ren- yeah. uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Like they also, cut bait also, all those guys at the right time. Also, but uh, yeah, so it's a conscious strategy, and also um, because they they cannot wait until those players are twenty two years old and pay the money that they are mm-hmm. them worth. Yeah, because this gets seventy uh, seventy two million for at, at the age of sixteen. Like PSG will come in for one hundred and fifty million. Or I mean, he, I mean more than that, two hundred million or whatever. Yeah, just outrageous. So speaking of those contracts, so we got we got two more for you. For minor, I, I just want to say like it's hard to say I don't know, and I try not to say that. I try to do my research, but I don't actually know the answer to this question. Minor asks, what does it mean for Gabi if there is no first team contract offered to him due to La Liga fair play rules this season? Wasn't that contract already offered and yeah. signed? Right, I think it's that's already yeah, done. Yeah, yeah you already, you already signed it. So yeah. next question. Okay, great. Okay, so the next one is about Dembele. So do you think, Rami asked, do you think it's realistic that Dembele extends next summer considering the high wages he'll be demanding due to his current form and Barca's ongoing financial situ- uh, issues? I don't think his current form is that great to be demanding high wages. But uh, also, I don't, I don't know if you read the Jordi Cruyff interview. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he gave two, because always when those guys even interview to Mundo Deportivo, they give an interview to support as well. <laughs> for the yeah. players, for the director, uh, for the technical directors, for anybody, it's it's hilarious. But one, he said a lot of interesting things. And one of the things that he said was that last time there was a lot of noise about his contract and everybody doubted. And nobody believed Dembele when he said, hey, Barca is the club that I want to play for. And he ended up signing for Barcelona. And ever since he signed, renewed for Barcelona, whenever he's asked, he says that he wants to play for Barcelona. So why would we doubt him again? Hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, he, yeah, he might end up somewhere else. But if he wants to, like, if, if he is saying that he actually wants to play at Barcelona, why would we doubt that? If the last time that we did doubt it, all of us at some point or the other, we're proven wrong because there's nobody, nobody who thought throughout the whole of last season that Dembélé would renew. Would renew. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a lot of us who said, well, you know, yeah, I think, I think it's still possible that he renews when everybody else had given up. But there was always like, for everybody, some point was reached where we thought, nah, now nah, forget about it. He's never going to renew. Yeah, I mean, I, I did it like seven or eight, you know, ten times. But no, I, I that's a that's a great point. I think that. You're right. For Demelé, and I've seen this many, many times, not just in this sport, but in basketball and I mean, baseball happens all the time, where when there's those years, the contract years and those players, there's a circus about renewing and are they going to return? And they either do or they don't. And I feel like you don't do that circus again. Like very rarely, 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 rarely do you have that year after year, year after year circus 
of will he, won't he, that whole thing. And I agree. I think after that first circus, like I think he's done. Like he said, I'm 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 returning to Barcelona. That's it. And and he'll make it work. And they're gonna figure something out at a reasonable number as well. Like if they were able to agree to the one they did, like you also have to understand that Barcelona's financial situation will probably be better. Like I know that signing may not be better, but their financial situation will be better where they're going to be able to have even a little more wiggle room to negotiate and find numbers that are close to each other. Okay, last one. And I, I, I'll, let you, I'll let you destroy it after I answer it. Um, but this is a safe space for me because we're talking about Virginia Desk. So Jorge and Drew both kind of asked the same thing. Does, guess, does Desk get a second opportunity? And he also asked, is the possibility of Messi, Messi coming back getting better or worse? Actually, that, that's a different question. We'll get that. That'll be the last one we do. But Drew then asked, with Roberto's injury and Bayerine's poor performances, is there an argument to, being, to bring Desk back after seeing what a healthy Desk can do? Didn't look perfect for the U.S. against Netherlands, but he looked very good otherwise in the tournament. I think Des had a good World Cup, but it's, it's not revisionist history. Just because Bayerin is not up to the right-back standards of FC Barcelona does not mean that Des will return envy. Like I, Again, I think AC Milan putting him on the right wing instead of playing him at right-back, even if they're willing to pay the $20 million, like you kind of take the $20 million. Like Again, I like Des. I wanted to like Des. I rooted for him with the national team. I thought he was good in the World Cup. I would be excited about that player. And again, honestly, for what I saw in the World Cup, he'd be a player that I would be arguing Barca should look at if they hadn't already had him and we've already seen what happens. But I, I just no, he's he's just not what Barcelona is looking for at the right back position. Defensively, there are just too many issues. And I think as we saw the the yin and the yang, the balance of those fullbacks that we've seen for Barcelona at, at time, whether it's Alba, whether it's Balde in the future, it seems like that left back spot is the one that's gonna push forward a little bit more. You're gonna have crosses a little more from the left because if your crosses are coming in from the right, they're likely coming in from Dembele. So you want a fullback that's gonna be both able to invert and defend for Dembele in the middle of the field for counterattacks, but also do a little bit around the outside. And Des is still, like, his crossing was better at the World Cup than, it, I mean, that I ever saw it was for Barcelona. So his final third balls are, like, not just not good enough. Defending again, he leaves space wide open. His positional play is just, it's not up to the Barcelona standard, unfortunately. So again, if AC Milan are willing to pay that $20 million, you take that. And you have to, and you reinvest that. I would say, yeah, don't do anything other stupid things. Reinvest that immediately into a right back who you think might be good enough. I mean, that, that, that's what you have to do. Milan is not going to pay 10, 20 million for Dest, man. Get the hell out of here. Like, that's not going to happen. Well, that's that's the buy-on clause. I mean, yeah, that's, that's I know, what, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, we're lucky to get 2 million for Dest at this point. No, um, he's, still, he's still like 21, 22 years old. Like, he's still no, like, I, no, I, the fullback I'm, I'm market is played No I, way. I, I, like, I like Dest's potential. He's still only, he's about 20 years old. No, he's like 21, I think. 21, like, you know. 15, that's what I mean. 15 million in this inflated fullback market, 15 million for potential. That's what you're paying. You're paying literally 10 million of potential and 5 million for the player at this point in Des' career still. Yeah, okay. So well, why is he on loan if we could have gotten 15 million? Huh? Answer me that. Well, because there's like certain clubs that you may not be good enough for. That's Real Madrid, that's Barcelona, that's Manchester City. Like, I mean, those, those clubs send their players out because there's there's no spot for them at one of these top because, clubs. Like not because they're winning clubs. Because there's no spot and because everybody knows that we're trying to get rid of him. That, yeah, I mean, that impacts the price. So, you know, when, when Ajax sells Dest, the position of the club is we do not want to sell. So his price goes up. When Barcelona says, hey, I don't want a player. Everybody knows that, hey, this is this is a player that Barcelona wants to get rid of, especially Barcelona, who's in the financial situation that we're in. 
Yeah, I'm, they're I, like, I well, you know, they, they don't only want to get rid of the player. They have to get rid of the player. They absolutely need to get rid of the player. They are desperate to get rid of the players because it will save them some, some salary room and, and help their situation. So that, that brings his price down. And we're not going to get $15 million for Dest because, you know, there's just not enough clubs that will go into a bidding war in order to, in order to sign him. I think it's a shame that Xavi did not stick with him because I, I, I think that Dest right now is not good enough. But, you know, uh, I, I think the raw talent is there for him to yeah to become a good player and potentially even a Barca player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the player, like the first player that I thought of, I, you heard me click clacking away, um, Quarantine Tolisso, who's a Lyon midfielder, played for Bayern Munich for a little bit. Like, that's actually what I think of this as. Like, he went on loan to Lyon and Lyon said, okay, you're I guess you're now more our level than Bayern. He also had a, like a year and a half he was off injured as well. So we didn't really feature for Bayern and Bayern replaced him in their midfield pretty quickly. So there wasn't a spot for him. I think it's different than Des. Like if Des shows up and is good enough at Barcelona, he's the starting right back because Barcelona are looking for a starting right back. So I understand your argument. But yeah, I mean, I just think the, I think the one thing you and I yeah differ on is, is, is how much his potential might be worth on the market. So, all right. Last let's, let, here. Let's, see, let's see how much he goes for this summer. And then, yeah, then yeah. we'll talk about we'll it. Again, I, I'll, I'll say I'm wrong if I'm wrong. So anyway, last question. Is the possibility of Messi coming back getting better or worse with Argentina's results in the World Cup? And I mean, I think, I don't know. I think I was at like a 5% chance that he would come back. Like as far as where he'll go at the end of this season and even at the end of next season, like there was a 5% chance he'd return as a player, maybe 10%. But I think if you what had to say, World, what think, does the World Cup have to do with it? I don't get it. I don't know. I actually like. I don't know. Like, I think that if Argentina were to win the World Cup, and you turn talk about his like career, his legacy, I'm not sure. Again, I don't really have an opinion on this. Like, do you think he still care? Not cares enough, but do you think he's still going to be as hell bent on getting a Champions League with? I mean, obviously with PSG, but to getting a Champions League again in that fashion, mm. or do you think winning a World Cup legacy wise, he might say, you know, I have done what I I want to do, so. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a seventy percent ownership stake of Inter Miami, or or I'll return to Barca to be you know some Danny Alves figurehead as he was like for the last year. Like, I don't I don't know if winning the World Cup like satisfies something in him, but I don't know if it is. Like everything we've ever read about Messi is that until he can't anymore, he's always going to win at want to win at the top level. But again, like it's also like where there's smoke, there's fire about the MLS stuff, like about like going to the US and taking a step back in a way that Cristiano Ronaldo didn't. So. I think Messi, as always, like well, we don't really know what he's thinking or what he's going to do. Um, and and I think it's, I think all three of those options, that being stay with PSG uh, and continue to fight for a Champions League, or return to Barca in some capacity, or go to the US. Uh, you know, I don't know where where you're feeling. I mean, Barcelona doesn't have money, so he's not coming back because sure. we can't pay him. Even even if he were to come back under the fair play rules, we would not have money to. Uh, to take on his salary. When Dani Alves came back uh, last season, he actually made them, his contract was for the minimum. Right. But La Liga said no, because his last contract was for 7 million euros a season. Uh, we don't believe that he's playing for the million. We're, we're going to count that as 3.5 million of salary, regardless of what you put in your contract. So imagine they do the same with Messi. With Messi. <laughs> and they say, well, you know, his last salary at Paris Saint-Germain was... I don't know what he earns right now. Is it 45? I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a lot. <laughs> like, you know, so th there's just no money for it. Also, 
I think it's quite clear that the relationship between Messi and uh, Laporta is not healthy, is not good. Yeah. So I, I don't. I think that after what Messi has gone through with uh, Bartomeu, I almost forgot his name. Imagine my joy. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think Messi is the type of person, since he is incredibly loyal himself, mm-hmm. from everything that we know from him, that the moment that he feels that people are not loyal with him, like I don't think that that is something that you can repair. Yeah. And even less so in such a short time. Yeah. So, um, un- unfortunately, I don't see a path back for him. I, w- I would love for him to come back uh, because the way that he left. Like, I was not against him leaving when he wanted to leave and when Bartomeu was at, at the club. Mm-hmm. And we would have gotten something in return. Um, but the way that it happened uh, under on, on Laporta, I think it was incredibly painful because none of us expected it. And I would love for him to come back for one season, even if it was just for him to get a standing ovation at every ground in Spain. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I wish he could have a, almost a testimonial tour. Um, yeah. like the only time we, I think the, there's like two players in the NBA, like Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade did like basically did that. I mean, Kobe Bryant had the same thing, but they were like, Dwayne Wade was kind of already done. Like he went back to the Miami heat. Like he, he was, pretty much finished as a player. That was the example of like a player that was, okay, it's, it's over. And then he swapped jerseys with everybody, even if he didn't play those nights and whatever it was, but all right. So a little bit of housekeeping just before we wrap this up is that I have a Paulino Acantera, the Messi before Messi. We had a lot of Messi talk today. So Messi before Messi, that is up on YouTube. That's also in the podcast feed less than 24 hours ago. I put that out. So that's just a little explainer about him. Some stuff about the Spanish civil war that people don't know about him, about his, you know, post Barcelona career and his legacy and things like that. Alcantara and also his legacy in the Philippines and all that. And also little update. I've been saying it the last few shows, but I'll say it again. These listener questions, you know, I kind of got away from them a little bit. As I said, I haven't been too happy with the Facebook algorithm and our listener questions in, in the in the group there. I'm not not saying I'm not pleased with that group. I want that whole group basically to migrate over to our new Discord server so that I can see the and, and better track the questions as they come in so I can better organize the different th- game threads and different things we're talking about over there. So that link to the Discord is down in the description below. So while you're down there, though, also on Twitter still, even though Twitter's a dumpster fire, still follow Levon over there on Twitter and us, Twitter and Instagram as Barcelona Pod at LT13 for me. And then Patreon, you know, all that stuff as well. For our Patreons, if you're a Patreon and you've joined the Discord, privately message me, like send me a DM if you can, and I will make sure that you're in the, there's a special Patreon thing over there. So I want to make sure you're in there. So again, you have better access to me than kind of everybody else and the, the generic members. So that's for Patreon. Then again, YouTube, you know where to find us, subscribe so you don't miss anything. Yada, yada. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Till next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Peace, Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.